Hi, I'm super excited to introduce Roger Dorman, who is an actor, a producer, and a friend who also has struggles, just like all of us do. And he has been kind enough to come on today and share his story with you. So welcome, Roger. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited about this. So tell me, where did, first of all, the the idea of acting and producing come in? And when did you start? Well, I, uh, I think all of us kind of have a, the fantasy of the idea of being an actor one day um, when we watch TV and movies and such. So I guess I always had it in the back of my head, but mine didn't come till later in my life where I was actually just sitting down with a uh, producer friend of mine. I didn't really know him that well. I just met him at a, at a conference, a shareholder conference. And he invited me to dinner one night and we're just sitting there and he's like, Hey, uh, I've got a movie I want you to be in. It's, it's, and I just kind of laughed it off. Like what? <laughs> no, really. He's like, no, really. I've got this role of a luxury yacht captain for you. So that's how it started. <laughs> okay um you know it's funny because i was um in san francisco years ago if you do you remember the movie the bachelor sure okay well i was in that oh wow As, uh, but i was down at the wharf and uh, i think i was a bubblegum shrimp company yeah uh-huh. to eat and I had I was just walking out of there and this man came up to me and I was by myself. He came up to me and he said, hey, and he hands me his card and he said, I would love to have you as an extra in this movie. And I'm like, whatever. I mean, I didn't believe him, didn't know who he was. You know, he, why would somebody just approach you out of nowhere that they don't know, right? So anyway, long story short, I ended up being in it. It was Renee Zellweger's very first movie. So... I, I got to know her. And <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, three months I stayed there doing this, putting in maybe 12 to 16 hours a day through the rain, cold, running barefoot up hills. And um, I kind of decided afterwards that that's a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of work, don't you? That's that's definitely a big production. Usually movies don't last for more than, uh, you know, the average filming number of days is around 21 days worth of shooting. Um, that Of course, that's drug out over a period of like four weeks, uh, some into five or six weeks max, depending upon how many days a week they're actually filming. So it's yeah. amazing that you were there for three months. That would be, especially uh, yeah. for an extra, that would be excruciating. <laughs> it was and and the thing is you couldn't leave like the site whatsoever you know you just had to stand there and wait until and we had to do it over and over and over again some of the scenes until it was perfect yeah, I'm, I mean I'm sure you know all that part but you know being an extra I didn't get like a trailer to go into in between or anything like we we had this big room we could go in and hang out if it was like raining really hard and it wasn't our turn yet or whatever but you know, and and they had somebody in there with, you know, snacks and food and whatever, but you couldn't leave there. You, you know, I mean, you had to stay around until it was your turn again. So, well, well, that, what that tells you is that 
the film industry isn't isn't as glamorous as people make it out to be. The well, only time you see right. glamour, the only time you see glamour is at premieres at e, at big events that right. happen usually one once a year. Other than that, these actors and actresses, I mean, they, they go through a lot of very challenging days. They go through blood, sweat, and tears, emotional challenges, you name it, just to push through to complete a project. And like you said, just just because you nailed the scene one time, now they have five different angles they want that same same effort towards. Uh, and for you to nail it each time in at each angle. And then they go around the room, depending upon what's needed, and get the perspective of the other actor that's standing opposite you or group of actors. So it just it's just, it's a 3D version. Uh, there's so many angles in a movie, and that's why movies appear to seem like you're all over the place. If you're actually to watch a movie from the perspective of the camera, Mm-hmm. and actually be conscious of it, you'd be amazed at how many times the camera angles are bouncing around. And each one of those, you just have to figure is a take and probably took anywhere between 10 minutes to an hour to create. <laughs> wow. So be- before we get into one of the movies, what what were you doing before you started going into the production and the acting? Well, it's the same thing I'm still doing now. I, I own okay. a currency. I own, I own a currency exchange company, and we we send currency, physical foreign currency, banknotes all around the world. Uh, people just come on our website, and and if they need access to euros or Chinese yuan or what have you, they can. Is order that like it right there? Bitcoins too. Uh, we don't we don't we don't deal in cryptocurrencies. No, no? it's strictly okay. physical foreign currency banknotes, similar to what you would find if you wanted to order some some foreign currency. Let's say you're traveling to Europe and you want to mm-hmm. get some foreign currency from your local bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, not every bank, but a lot of banks have what are called the foreign currency uh, uh, desk, so to speak. And that's okay. through that entity or through that a division of the bank, you can order uh, foreign currency banknotes. And it usually takes like, sometimes you can get it same day. Other times it takes a week or two for them to ship it to your local branch. And then you can pick it up. So ours is an overnight delivery. We just saw a need in the industry that where we could just get access to foreign currencies all around the world. So we act as kind of a wholesale um, warehouse, so to speak, of different currencies to ship all around the world overnight. Okay, and so apparently you have the luxury of taking off when you need to then. Yeah. With your position. As the owner, I I can be wherever I need to be, whenever I need to be there. Um, Occasionally, uh, I'll need to uh, intercede in something regarding the office, but I've got some great employees that handle the day-to-day, and I just manage some of the bigger stuff from wherever I'm at. Let's go into um, the first movie. The first movie that you did. What was your uh, part? What did you do? Sure. I was in the movie Wander with Aaron Eckhart, Tommy Lee Jones, Catherine Winnick, Brendan Fair, Heather Graham, Raymond Cruz, Ian McClare. There, there are quite a few very incredible actors and actresses in that movie. And yes. I, I played the role of... Uh, Constable Leland Ashgrave. 
he was just the small town cop that didn't wear cops clothes. He's wearing his cowboy hat and his Wranglers and carrying a badge around, but pretty much just doing what he was told by the sheriff and, uh-huh. and a shadow government that seemed to come in and intimidate that town, getting them to do what they wanted them to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So when you finish that, did that give you more ex- to go further? Well, sh- certainly it, it's, you know, acting is a love-hate relationship for probably every actor. It's pet- it's terrifying stepping on set. It's, I mean, mm-hmm. and exhilarating at the same time. The, the very first scene I was in, I was just shaking like a leaf. I mean, mm-hmm. and I wasn't, it wasn't even a speaking role. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> they, right. They put me in a scene for across the distance where they're just watching me hand some documents over to the CIA agent and getting out of a car and I'm driving the car and even the car that I'm driving, I'm nervous in (laughs) what is going on with me. (laughs) So yeah, there's the nerves get to you, but you use those, you kind of push through because you, you need to stay focused on the emotional obligations that you need for a given scene. And you just throw that all in there and I'd spent hundreds of hours preparing, so I was able to pull through it pretty good. So would you consider like that first one uh, an extra or not, since there wasn't a speaking part? It's not really an no, extra, no. is Well, it? no, because I mean, I, it, the, the scene was about me and about right. what was happening. So no, okay. an extra is somebody who's standing in the distance or walking through the scene behind the actors talking or someone just standing there chewing on a piece of straw that, that isn't, isn't a named actor or character in the movie. Okay. Well, I actually ended up with three lines. <laughs> then, then you wouldn't and be I an ha- extra. Okay. But that's what he asked me to be to begin with. And then I had to uh, get some kind of certification. I, I don't even remember what it was called then, but in order to an actor or something to even speak. I I can't remember what it was called back then. And maybe, you know, they don't have that now, but so, um, yeah. Okay. Can you give us the general idea of what wander, what, what the point was? Sure. The the storyline is, it's very one character centric in that it follows Aaron Eckhart character, Arthur Bretnick, Arthur, Arthur is this confused, delusional, former FBI agent who is very conspiratorial in nature and thinks that everything's a conspiracy. And what happens is he has flashbacks over the course of the movie about this horrific accident that he had with his family, his wife and his daughter, where his wife was maimed and his daughter was killed. And it ruined his life. Um, His wife ended up becoming a vegetable as a result of that accident and never talking again or hardly even recognizing him. Um, And the more he is using his FBI experience and police experience in his mind, he started reliving over and over again, this event that happened and he felt like they were, they were being targeted. And the reason why he felt that is because, he had been given prior to going to this town called wander. He, mm-hmm. 
he just happened to be with his wife and kids and brought them along with him. He was just going to innocently check out this tip that was had that he had been given about this crazy town wander. And while he was there, that's what this when this accident happened. And so he spends the entire movie trying to figure things out. Um, and weird things start happening around him. He starts checking into it. He goes back to the town wander. And that's when things get really crazy. Right. And it, so I did watch it and I had to keep going back. You know, so that I understood what was going on. Yeah, it's a mind and twist. It's a psychological it, thriller. It really is. It really is. Mm-hmm. And so I would like go back and rewatch. And and then one of the questions I kept in my mind was, this is based on a true story. But I think I realized by the end of it, it probably wasn't. No, I don't think um, we've gone that far to be that out there and use that yeah. outlandish <laughs> of things of, of implants into people to track illegal aliens i don't think we've gone that far if anything the the country's gone the opposite direction and just opened its borders (laughs) but would would you say that um as an ending that the 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 whole thing would be about the triumph of truth and justice for sure i mean okay the reason why he's laughing in the end is he's like I'm not crazy. I was right. Right. You know, all these people that made me, uh, I finally found the truth. Like, you know, call it a big giant gaslight of his life. Right. Like he he had a conspiracy that was working against him, trying to make him believe that he was losing his mind. Right. And that's just a giant gaslighting by the, by the shadow government to keep people around him to keep their secret hidden while it was still active. And over the course of the whole movie and at the end, that's what ends up happening is in the end, he realizes that he was right. And that it's all about standing up for what you believe and pushing forward and uh, no matter what it costs you really. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we got that one. Let's go into Karen. Karen. Well, can I, you know what, b- before you go into that, I, I want to clarify um, I actually looked up so everybody knows out there what a Karen is. So I, I've got it in front of me. Um, it's kind of interesting. I knew most of it, but one, they're always white. I did not realize that part. I knew they were racist, but I didn't know that, that meant that they were white. You know what I'm saying? That that's I think that's kind of become the secondary definition of it. It it wasn't always white, or because there's two things. There's a Karen that is the type of person that has that personality that's just up in your business all the time, and she's just attacking anybody and everybody over anything. It could be the lady that's going to, to the PTA meetings, just like it's uh, a lady that is in the grocery store telling you to put your mask on or pull your mask up over your nose right or or it could be somebody screaming at the umpires because she's just over the top protective mama bear that is that is reporting an umpire to the the local little league council because he called a ball or a strike on her son that was clearly a ball i mean it's just somebody who goes over the top they're typically an a-type personality aggressive and very vocal and communicative 
but I believe <laughs> outside outside of the white community, it's viewed as a white woman on top of all that. Right. So, and then I've got their like usually middle aged between ages of thirty five and fifty five. Um, they always want to speak to a manager because of the white privilege. Yeah. Uh, see, Karen's come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, they are badge bunny bootlickers. I like that. <laughs> yeah. There's lots of names. The, the general yeah. consensus is an out of control woman who just thinks that whatever whatever authority there is, they have the right to go straight to the top. And if that meant the president of the United States, they'd be calling him or showing up at the White House door if they could. Right. Well, okay, so let's let's talk about that movie. Taryn did a wonderful job. So you can, I guess, say her name, but she did a wonderful job in playing that role. And you scared the heck out of me. First of <laughs> all... <laughs> No, I was like, okay, when I, when I first realized it was you, because you do look different than, (laughs) I don't know, do you, do you, did you have to do stuff to, to do, you know, did you, because you're bigger than what you are in person. And I know that usually a camera can add like 10 pounds, you know, heavier than what you are. Um, Your face was fuller. (laughs) <laughs> the the, the, fu- the funny thing about that is I was I was in some of the best shape of my life and I was absolutely ripped, but you wouldn't know it because I wore this big, huge coat, baggy pants. Yeah. And yeah. you just never saw me underneath there. You just saw this buzz headed cop um, that wasn't so happy. <laughs> uh, yeah you think <laughs> okay and, so so yeah. yeah so let's let's talk about that um why don't well i'll let you go ahead and tell what the movie is in general i'm i'm really going to push it out there i i think a lot of people need to see it um well as as far as uh as far as my different looks every movie i look different in i mean i guess that's a good <laughs> definition of a, of a character actor is somebody who can who can change their look and doesn't right. look like the, doesn't look like themselves. I mean, even my interviewers um, on all the different uh, TV programs and podcasts that I was interviewed on um, where there was video, uh-huh. uh, they all said the same thing. They're like, you're, you're him. <laughs> you don't look like, you don't look like the same guy. You kind of do, but uh, not really. Well, it's because that's, that was the intent. You know, sometimes when you emotionally and physically take on a role, and then you add the little um, characteristics of, of the look and feel of that person mixed with the costume. You become that person. You're not, right. you're not yourself. Well, you have to become them to be good. Yep. So that's that. And my, my producing partner, Mary Allo of Allo Entertainment, she, she calls me her, her, human, her human chameleon, which is, a, <laughs> which is a fantastic compliment because it means that she's comfortable having me be in any role that in any role that I yeah. could be in or that calls for someone like me. So, right. Um, That's but, great. but the movie Karen, let's see, uh, starring Taryn Manning. Uh, she's also the star of orange is the new black and so on. Most people know her by that. And, right. And right. Many others. Fantastic, accomplished actress been doing this since she was in her teens. So a long time, um, along with um, Corey Hardrick, 
He's he's actually in currently one of the, one of he's the coach in a TV or a Netflix series called All American, which is a huge series going on right now. Right, right, uh, right. And he's he's been in a bunch of really good movies as well. He's been around a long time. I uh, thought he did a fantastic job in this. Well, so did Jasmine. Yeah, and, and, and Jasmine Taren, Taren, of course, played the perfect Karen. But yeah. Okay, and Jasmine ahead. Burke is his wife, and they right. are the African-American couple that moves in next door to Karen. And I am Karen's older brother, Mike Wind. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the cop that's been around a long time. I feel like I'm above the law. I feel like I can just take the law into my own hands because I have, I, I belong to a secret society of, of policemen that kind of have each other's backs that range all the way from the highest up to probably the state attorney general, all the way down to the smallest precincts being that we just kind of got each other's backs. So uh, the concept of police and police forces having each other's backs on controversial confrontations (laughs) with uh, when the law is questioned, I guess. But also if you and Taryn, so your brother and sister in that movie, yeah. um, you guys had a traumatic event that started your racism. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a subtle thing in the movie where we're talking just on her back porch of her home. And it comes up that we came from a neighbor. We, were, we lived with our parents in a, you know, just a little suburban white neighborhood. And we had some people start moving into the neighborhood and, and my character specifically every day was getting in fights with a black kid that lived next door. And he was basically beating me up every day. Mm -hmm. And so there was, there was already some trauma as a result of that from personal experience that created further created the feelings of racism and hatred between the characters for sure. Right. Okay. So Go ahead. Uh, I was just so, oh my gosh. Like I said, I, and I watched it three times. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll start by saying this. I'm nothing like the character at all. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, first and foremost, <laughs> it was a brutal, brutal role for me to yes. participate in. I, I worked on it for four months straight between anywhere between four and eight hours a day with my acting coach every See? day. See? About, about five days a week. So it was, I had to do a deep dive into my personal life and the way things work, at least for me and every actor is different, but I think one common denominator is this. You have to take the script and tear it apart and piece it back together with either a made up story in your own head or take real information from your personal life and experiences in your life and tie it to it and relive that experience from your life. And in my case, that's what I do, the latter. I literally, every scene, every line, there I have to piece back together the emotional obligations that are needed in that scene. There, and there's usually not one. The interesting thing that people don't realize is when we live our lives, we're not feeling one feeling only in our life. We're not feeling scared. No, we're feeling scared. We're feeling hurt. We're feeling sad. We're probably feeling, feeling all the things vulnerable. I'm yeah, um, insecure with ourselves. You add it all up. 
that's what you have to bring. And in order for a scene to be believable on set, guess what you have to do? You got to be that person. You have to have all of those emotions those. present in your body prior to shooting the, the scene. And then, right. oh, by the way, on top of it, you have to have 50 people standing around. The director say action and for you to deliver it like it's natural. And oh, yeah. Remember the lines. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's what has well, to happen to prepare for a single scene. And it could be a simple scene that may take six hours to do. Or it may take 30 seconds or 30 minutes to do. It just depends upon how smooth things go and if the director sees what they need to see. And right. so it's it's very intense. And that's what I had to do. I had to spend hours upon hours upon hours trying to figure out how to become this person. And for uh, not me ever meeting you in person, but kind of being part of, well, I guess it all began on TikTok. <laughs> But, you know, watching you live there, I knew that you were a, a loving person and a caring person. You know, you take care of your children and, you know, they basically are your life and you're so kind. And so personality into somebody who is hateful, mean yeah. Yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's not a lot of redeeming qualities about officer mike wind he's no he's pretty much a yeah whatever you want to call asshole. him expletive you want to call, call him an him asshole <laughs> yeah he was he was an asshole racist cop is what he was yep yep and you did it very well so congratulations on that <laughs> uh, especially like i said you know because you you explained you have to become that person and if you don't have that personality at all, you know, that would take a long time to make yourself into that person. And, and so. it was extremely intimidating because the majority of the set, not everybody, but the majority of the set was minorities. Right. And so right. I'm coming after the characters in front of these people watching their own lives flash before their eyes because they've all seen it in their real life. Right, right. In different scenarios, whether it was a cop or not, it doesn't matter. Authority figures, um, Aryan looking white male uh, asserting himself to them, whether they was a, whether they were a kid or an adult, it doesn't matter. And so even though everyone was incredibly professional on set, you have to face those fears and everybody's a real person and everybody is feeling those feelings and it's it's a challenge. It's it's very emotional and difficult and exhausting. Right. You know, there was there was a scene in there when um, they had the. See, it was Malik and Imani. Is that how you pronounce yeah, Mal it? Malik and, and Imani. Yeah. OK, so Malik, um, when they had a housewarming party uh -huh. and Karen invited herself. <laughs> yeah. And anyway, you know, she she started her thing and one of the things that she said was all light, all white, all why doesn't all life's matter. Okay. And after the big George Floyd thing, there was so much so much of black lives matter all over Instagram, all over everywhere, okay? And you know that. Um my my cousin lives in Minneapolis and wow, like they didn't go out of their home for a year. Well, plus it was COVID too, I think. 
I think that was during the COVID too. But at any rate, I, I didn't get, this is me personally, what was wrong with me? Because I am definitely not racist whatsoever. And I know all about the Black Lives Movement. But I really believe that all lives should matter to us, everybody's that, life. Well, and I saw that argument going on. And I'm like, ooh, I'm one of those persons. Well, this, this, yeah, but you didn't, you didn't throw it in somebody's face. Everybody, no. there's two things. There's two arguments there. Or there's actually three arguments. There's the organization of Black Lives Matter. And that's right. not what we're talking about now. There's right. Black Lives Matter, the statement, which is really about the pain and the, the racism and the, the lack of ability for a lot of uh, the culture and people and minorities in general to be able to advance in life when they're, they're already living in a society where it seems and whites have had so many more advantages along the way. It's like, it's like, yes, there's advantages for everybody in this, in this world. And especially in this, in the United States, but that doesn't mean there's equal advantage because there's natural bias. There is natural hidden racism that none of us know who is racist. And then there's just opportunity that just like a role in a movie, there's only so many roles for an African-American or, or a Spanish person or a white person. Mm-hmm. And th- the majority of the opportunities, because the majority of the country is white, have been for white people. And so it's about creating that equality. What's interesting about the argument, though, and this is the third thing that's the, the critical element that people mistake and uh, misunderstand about that statement. It's extremely offensive to say all lives matter in the same sentence of somebody else saying black lives matter because they're talking about their pain and their hurt and their missed opportunities and their struggle to get to advance and to become, Mm -hmm. become a race of relevancy in a society that is majority white. That's all it is. They're just, they're not saying all lives don't matter. They're saying black lives matter as an emphatic statement. Like we matter too. Right. So when someone follows that up with a statement of all lives matter, that's like that's like you being in an argument with somebody and completely brushing right over their concerns and shoving it in their face and and diminishing their statement about their own pain and their own hurt. So mm-hmm. it's extremely offensive from that perspective. So that's what that scene is about is is why they would be so offended they are not arguing that all lives don't matter they're arguing right, right, right. at the insult and the slap in the face and the audacity of this crazy lady that she'd not only invite herself into their home but then disrupt it with a statement like that right right so yeah, that that just was really interesting to me because I I was called out on that actually on Instagram, um, and it wasn't a you know like a public thing. But there's uh, a mother of one of my sons um, that just recently, like uh, a year ago, her daughter, she so they're white, and her 
daughter married an African-American. And then, then she became all about this Black Lives Matter. And she doesn't really know me, apparently, because she was making these statements and really, you know, throwing it all over the place and whatever. And I, I said, I, I absolutely, like, I was so horrified over everything that was going on. Um, but I've also experienced that myself as a white person from a police officer. So anyway, um, but I have a very large family. My mom had 17 brothers and sisters. And we, a lot of our family did a lot of adopting and, and stuff. And we have mixed marriages. And, and so I have grown up with, well, my, my great-great-grandfather was part African-American. And so I've grown up with that. And I did, we never had any problems. We, you know, we, maybe it was, I don't know, maybe the way we were raised um, but none of us had any problems as far as racism. I, th- I think that's just it as it's in the family. But it, I think anytime you hear a, a cry for help from a community, there's clearly problems in certain areas and in certain places and with certain families and with certain cities, governments, you name it, it's real. It is. And just because it's not real in your world doesn't make it a re- a not real issue. That's that's what I struggled with in preparing for the role. Mm-hmm. It was because I'd never even witnessed any act of racism, literally, uh, at least on the the overt side. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, subtle things I probably was naive to. Right. But right. as far as overt types acts, no. I grew up in small town America in southern nevada and and never witnessed anything like that uh, but that doesn't mean that it's not real and it's not happening in places like atlanta and and chicago and you know wherever else i mean it's real and someone someone like me all i can do is listen with my heart open and with my mind open and with empathy as much as i possibly can and if not empathy, sympathy, because I haven't been through it with them. So empathy is a tough one other than, than doing my best to understand with empathy, but certainly sympathy and certainly with a quiet mouth, you know, let, right, uh, listen, right. listen to what they have to say, uh, do my best to understand and do what I can to make my world and their world a better place when I'm, when I'm able to, or where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And it starts with the individual and that's, that's where, that's where I'm coming from with it. And, and I, you know, and, and I still believe that, the, that it's, it's still, you know, you have to, you have to start with your children, you know, and, and raise them properly in respecting everybody's life and not being a racist. Um, well, I'll, sh- I'll share a little story I, with I you. I believe she, please do. It's it's a story, actually. I wasn't on set, but I had a driver. Like, every day when I was going to set and going back back to my hotel, pick, get picked up, go back to my hotel, I had a driver. Usually it was one assigned driver. Sometimes it was a second one. But one of the drivers and I visited a lot. 
And um, I went on a particular day, I remember telling him, you know, I'm very concerned and this is a very intimidating role for me because, you know, I, I'm scared to really go there and be that cop. Right. Because it's so racist. It's like, I, I feel like I'm going to offend the director and, and my co-stars and, and everybody watching. And, you know, I just, I'm like, I'm just scared. That would and be so hard. <laughs> and he got really, he got really emphatic with me. He's an African-American guy. And he says, oh, wow. no, we need you to, we need you to this. This is our story. He goes, I, he goes, he goes, you have no choice. You need to stand up for us. You need by being that person, by being that aggressive, by being that badass racist cop is that everybody hates. We need you to be that for us. And this was just the driver mm-hmm. that, that, that told me right there, the energy and the passion and the, the, the need for all of the African-American community for me to stand up and be that because they needed that message delivered with that level of emphatic nature. Well, the um, one answer to all of this is on well, all sides. Stop the yep. targeting. Stop That's the right. targeting. That's stop right. Targeting police officers. Stop targeting races and cultures and people and communities exactly and that's what i wanted to to get out about this whole movie that i took from everything was all of that yep okay so on to well well did you want to finish anything about that movie i i would just say that it's a very unique movie it is very much on the point on many levels some two on the point, some people say. There's been a lot of negative reviews about it. But interestingly, it's still one of the most downloaded movies. Here it is, late October. And it came out the beginning of September. And it's still one of the most downloaded movies in all of iTunes right now. So clearly mm-hmm. something about it is hitting a chord. And it's gone international. And it's continuing to do very well internationally. And the reason why is because everybody, just like you, whether they're whatever color they are, from whatever country they are, they mm-hmm. recognize this. And it's gross overreach by people in positions of authority, of, of authority. And that ranges from politicians to local community leaders to cops. Right. And that's the issue is I think I think everybody and most people in the world are sick and tired of it. And that's what's happening right now. So I, I would say watch it even if it's painful to watch ask yourself why is it painful to watch if you're bored ask yourself am i bored which it's not a boring movie but if i if you are bored are you not engaged enough to recognize there's real issues in the world because this this movie was meant to prick the conscience of everybody and that's and i think it does a really good job of that um can you tell everybody where they can watch the movie Sure, it's on most streaming, downloading streaming devices. You can certainly download it on iTunes. You can also get it on, I think it's Vudu, as well as Amazon right now, um, just about anywhere. Those would be the three main major streaming areas where you can definitely see the movie Karen. Okay. So I have Amazon Fire Stick, and I'm like subscribed to all the things. And when I... I think I used my voice control and I just said, Karen, um, 
I also typed in search your name. Um, and it took me to Prime Video. But I had to pay for it. Yeah, it's well, it's it's these streaming services do charge for. So then in Voodoo, services. they would charge too. Probably. Okay. Because I mean, I, mean, I do rent, rent the movie for five bucks or three bucks or however much it costs. Oh, it's yeah, totally it's, worth it. Yeah. Totally worth it. I, in fact, I, I paid to rent it three times. <laughs> so just because I wanted to, I really enjoyed it. And I guess you I, should have bought it at that point. I know, right? <laughs> That's what I thought about this morning. I'm like, I should have just bought it. But whatever. Okay. So what other movie did we want to talk about? Did Breach? Well, Breach, I, I did not act in it. I was given an opportunity to act in it, but I Because I, did I didn't not. watch it. Um, um, cheerleader. The Cheerleader one. Yeah, Bre- Bre- Breach, I, just so you know, Bre- Breach stars Bruce Willis. It's a, it's an outlandish a space thriller where they're caught on this spaceship and there's crazy aliens that come onto the ship and are attacking them. And it's a fight for your life. Typical Bruce Willis run and gun, shoot them up kind of action packed movie. Okay. Um, So that's that. Um, Okay. I was during COVID or during, during 2020, I was given an opportunity to take on a role as funny enough and not, not coincidental, or I should say coincidentally, but not planned by any means. I was another cop. This one was a small town cop investigating the role or, or investigating the death of a cheerleader at the local high school called Cheer for Your Life. It was a lifetime movie. Yep. And I was it I was just dealing with young kids who were covering for each other during their hazing ceremonies of the first week of school for the new cheerleaders and the new football players. And they had these crazy traditions. And I was the investigating cop that started getting pretty agitated with the lack of responsiveness and I guess assistance by the kids in, in sharing the information that I knew that they had. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't about my character at all. He was simply a passive character trying to get to the bottom line or the bottom of what was going on with within that crazy town and it comes out in a big surprise in the end what really is going on and pretty crazy when another girl shows up missing right and it's it's a great thriller for young adults as as well as adults alike but it, it is a a teen i'd call it a teen action thriller drama suspense thriller yeah yeah okay so now did you have were you part of any of the production there no no i just was invited to take on that role for them okay and so we know where to watch that one too i i did watch that one and i also downloaded it so i could watch it again (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think I have 48 hours or something like that. Watch again. Cause I want to watch it with my son. I want him to see it. So, okay. So let's go on then to your struggle, your life struggle. What has that well, been? Well, I mean, all of us have lots of struggles, right. In various ways and such, but one of the, 
biggest ones that I've experienced that I didn't realize I had, but as I, you know, as you go through life and especially as you get older, you start assessing yourself and you basically ask yourself, why do you, why do I do what I do when I know what I know? And why do I keep doing it? Or why do certain patterns keep showing up in my life again and again and again? And why have I invited these certain people in my life? And why have I allowed them to treat me a certain way or what have you? And the one thing that came for me and a lot of it was uncovered incidentally by, or coincidentally by, by my acting coaching and all of the, the acting therapy as I was preparing for different movies and understanding emotional obligations came up for me was, you know, I've had a real struggle with self-love in my life. I really have. I've So I've, in you, loving yourself. Correct. In, okay. in, in choices I've made, relationships I've allowed myself to be in, friendships that I thought that I had. And after going through kind of opening up my heart, opening up my soul, opening up my mind to the past, and recognizing everything that has happened, I realized that I was taught very early on, not intentionally, but taught very early on, starting with my own parents, mm -hmm. that I wasn't worth anything. Now, they didn't teach me that. I want you to understand that. But the de definition of communication isn't necessarily what you say. It's, it's in what your receiving, actions. It's, and it's what the mm -hmm. receiving party understands. Stands, right. And this goes back to the whole Black Lives Matter stuff thing, okay? Right, Same right, thing. Right. So for me, for me in my life, certain severe things happened that I just that I took away from it. Roger, you're not lovable. Roger, you don't. It doesn't matter. You're the middle child, so you you don't matter. Only the only the the loud voices around you matter. The, the either the babies or the older kids they matter you don't you just keep your mouth shut you make the peace you be the peacemaker in the household you don't have a say you be quiet um so i learned to be more and more pulled inward and quiet and and were, were you a middle child yes okay um and i just had a couple i'll, I'll share a couple of very private events that happened to me and i'll tell you what i learned from it from a child's perspective okay i would love that um and i'm sure very personal else. very personal but i'll share them anyway because i hopefully somebody can get something from this from their own life that they can remember that will they can maybe learn from their selves and realize okay i need to take a look at that it's the wrong way of thinking and hopefully open up a Pandora's box of all kinds of things that you have done that yourself to, to make you realize why you haven't loved yourself in your own life, possibly. Okay. So that, that's the goal. Um, when I was four years old, I lived in Southern California with my family. My, I don't know why, but my family took a trip up to Salt Lake City, Utah. <laughs> and, on the way, and on the way back from Salt Lake, not too far, maybe half hour, 45 minutes south of Salt Lake, we stopped at this gas station. Okay. And remember, I'm four years old. Four, yep. Um, the sense that I remember at that age is that my dad was the type of person that was very impatient. It's like, everybody stay in the car. I'm just going to fill up the car and let's go. 
of course, at four years old, I'm like, I got to go pee. I need to go to the bathroom. Can I interrupt you just a second and ask you how many, how many siblings were in the car? Um, at the time, there would have been a total of five of us. Okay. I was the third of five. Okay. Um, so I remember getting, feeling really scared because my dad was really upset and impatient with me that I would need to go to the bathroom and how dare I. And you had to stop. So he, stop. Yeah. so yeah, and they had to get gas anyway. And so I'm like, and basically he's like, well, hurry and go to the bathroom. And I remember him begrudgingly taking me to the bathroom. And I, I remember standing in front of the urinal to go pee. And then of course, as all little boys do, sometimes they need to go more than pee. Right. And so I'm like, oh, I need to go in here, dad. <laughs> and at the time he was standing next to me. I remember again, him getting really agitated, impatient with me and basically telling me to hurry up. Well, I go in the stall and sometimes little boys, they take longer than they probably should. And I probably did. I don't know. I can't remember that. But I remember feeling real anxious that I needed to hurry so that I wouldn't disappoint my dad anymore and so that we could get on the road. Which would probably hold things back longer. Sure. For little boys. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, I finished what I'm doing. My dad had left the bathroom. I go out through the little four-year-old. Usually people don't leave their four-year-olds, boy or girl, alone in bathrooms, but clearly my dad did. And clearly my mom was completely preoccupied with the other four. And she had a... a, Were they younger? She had a a one-year-old, so there was a baby. Okay. And then there was a a two-year-old and then me, and then there was a five and a six-year-old. So, I mean, it's it wow. all, all younger. Maybe she was, maybe she was seven, but anyway, that was the age range of the family. Well, I come out to the gas pumps and my ca- family's car is gone. <gasps> they forgot about you. I look everywhere. I thought maybe they were pulling around or pulled off to get away from the pumps. I couldn't find them. I start bawling. I go back into the, I go back into the gas station. I go up to the front and this nice man who was very kind to me. I remember seeing this little boy, seeing this boy sobbing. And I just said, my, my family left me. And he's oh no, no, they didn't. They didn't come out with me. And so the, he, t- he takes me back out to where the car was. And I like, it was right here. And he's like, and then he, I the only think the last thing I remember him saying is, don't worry, they'll be back. And I remember him taking me back into the gas station where I just kind of stood there waiting for my family. Aww. What I didn't know at the time or, or now, because time is senseless to a little four-year-old. Sure. My, mom, my mom told me they got over 30 miles down the road. Wow. Before they realized you weren't in the car. Before my oldest sister asked them, where's Roger? Oh, my gosh. It took my sister to be the one to recognize one of us kids was missing. Neither parent even remembered or considered it. So when an event like that happens in a child's life, where they are not considered... Where it wasn't important enough by those that are in charge to protect them and watch for them and take care of them. 
What does the child learn? Oh, I don't matter. Right, you don't matter. The needs of the baby crying in the front seat matter. The arguing between the two oldest kids is what matters. But the quiet middle boy didn't matter. And so that was one of the events in my life where I was taught that I don't matter. From your Um, perspective, yes. From my Mm -hmm. perspective. That Mm -hmm. was not the message that was said to me. That was the message that I interpreted and, and internalized as a little boy. And it started creating patterns in my life where I a lot, let a lot of things happen. As an adult, I allowed supposed friends of mine who I thought had my back um, get very close to me only to, only to find out that going into business with them, I was doing all the work. I was, I'm, the, I'm a doer kind of guy. And so I was pushing, 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 being very successful in whatever I did. And they're riding my coattails and it's our quote, our business, 50, 50, 50 owners or what have you. But you're the nice guy. And I'm doing all the work because I am trying to spend my whole life trying to prove that I'm worthy of being loved and I'm worthy of being that partner they can trust. I'm exhausting myself that, oh, I, I'm somebody that deserves your friendship. Like I'm fighting for that friendship because I don't even feel the love of myself. I'm just hoping that they do. Now, this isn't conscious thought. This is just actions of mine that when I look back on, I realize I've exhausted myself in my life on many levels and friendships, uh, personal relationships, marriages, you name it. Those things where I thought where I exhausted myself and and it's it never came back to me so I have two questions for you sure the the one the one is what like what made you all of a sudden feel all this and realize what was going on well one was doing the deep work remembering I did. But, I had to ask a lot of tough questions of my parents but why? and my siblings. But, what happened? But why? What was going? What significant thing happened to in make my, you? In, in my well, well, a few things. Um, three or five years ago, my second marriage ended. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to get into this, the details right. of those, right. but when you go through failure and then you're alone and you deal with the, the heartache and the, the pain of whatever you're going through. Grief. All of it. You, you tend to do a lot of introspection, at least somebody who's should be healthy should. In fact, everybody should, but some people, a lot of people refuse to look at themselves because it's always somebody else's problem. And I'll be honest with you. I'll be candid with you. I should say I've been honest the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the most candid comment I can make to you about my two failed marriages is this. How could someone, how could I continue to have someone loving me if I couldn't even love myself? Correct. Don't you think at some point in your life, even those around you that are close to you, 
they're they're brokenhearted by you by the fact that you can't even love yourself because you can't accept love you can't how can you you're you're if you don't even understand love because you've been in denial your whole life how can you accept love and how can you be that loving person that your partner needs you can't so you can't so did you go to a counselor sure Okay. You know, and, and counselors taught me different things along the way. But, but sometimes I mean, life, you know, some people have to learn through the hard way. Clearly, in, in certain scenarios, I've had to learn the hard way in my life. So it took a series of events to bring you to that point, though, which you stated some of them. Yeah, we all we all get to and, low points in our life, right? We all have to learn. Well, we all go through that, but not everybody realizes that. Not everybody seeks help. Not everybody to give you just. There's intelligence there too that, and that you're wanting to again, like you said, you you strive to be a good person and good at what you're doing and the the you know all the things. So that to me kind of looks like it came naturally for you to go, okay, I need to look at myself and find out why I'm feeling this way. But not everybody would do that. I mean, there's some obvious reasons I could easily point out for both of my former partners that are, that are obvious, but I, I, I got tired of pointing the blame elsewhere and I had to start looking at what did I do to create this? So what did I do to set this up or what happened? Because nobody goes into a marriage thinking that it's going to end. Right, right. Hopefully not. Yeah, I mean, that's not why you get married. (laughs) Right. You're making a commitment at a minimum till death do you part. Right. So, and when it fails, not once, but twice, and you, and and all of a sudden, that, that affects a lot of things. It affects your kids. It affects your ability to be with them all the time. It affects their ability to live with you in your home all the time. All of that stuff is impactful and it's devastating more than people ever want to really give it credit. It's devastating. It is. And, and you have to take a look at yourself and say, okay, in my case, I thought I'm never doing that. I'm either never, ever, ever going to do this again and never open my heart up to anybody ever again. Or if I do, I'm going to be fully both eyes awake, heart awake, mind, soul, feelings, emotions, everything's going to be so on alert to everything and anything so that I can be finding that person that will compliment me and stick with me. And then it dawned on me. I'm not searching for somebody else. I'm searching for me. Good job. And so from there, what what do you feel like helped you the most? Because have, have you overcome it or is that something you're still working on? Well, it's it's amazing to be able to recognize that and come to that. Absolutely. So that's pretty powerful. It's very so, powerful. Am I working on it? Yes, I work on it every day. It's just something now I'm a conscious of and when you spend 50 years of your life living a certain way in an unconscious way, don't you think it's probably going to take the next half of your life to unwind to that? 
Now that doesn't probably. Mean it, I mean, that's it, something you do have to work on. Well, what I mean is, once you've made a commitment to change, yes, you are doing all those things, but you don't stop doing it. It's like an alcoholic. Once they're an alcoholic, they're always an alcoholic. They continue to do the things that keep them from those behaviors by doing other behaviors. And it's the same thing. It's easy to fall back in your own mind into thought patterns and thereby actions. So for me, it's about keeping my energy and my thought patterns and my internal vibrations at such a high level that they don't allow me to dive down and go to base level stuff that will then put me in a spiral of uh, d poor decision-making and poor thought patterns and feeling bad about myself and thinking I only deserve this or that or the other. Okay. So for our listeners out there, we want to clarify those, some, some actual steps that you're doing um, to, because Roger, you, you're amazing and you're very intelligent and I'm not going to say that everybody's not, but not everybody would know what to do or even look at themselves. You know, they would put the blame on somebody else automatically, or maybe they wouldn't even care because they wouldn't recognize it. But you, you recognize things, you put them together, and you're, you know, you gave it a name, which I love. This is something that I've worked on myself. Um, but I didn't do it alone. You know, I, I did go through a life coach, which is what I am now myself. But I think they gave me a little bit to, uh, like I had to put little selfie notes all over the place. I matter. Um, I'm a good person. I deserve to be loved. You know, little reminders to begin with. Um, and I had to do a lot of soul searching and, and I did a lot of. Um, but I still had to do basically the work myself. I, I had a little bit of guidance, but I still had to do the work myself. So is, is, that, is that how you feel like you were doing it? Well, first step is becoming aware of the things that don't work in your life. Then be aware of the things that happen in your life that make you start asking yourself honest questions about yourself. Do I like me? What, what, what are the things about me that make me feel insecure? Why do I feel insecure about those things? Why is it that you feel like you have to, why, do you, why is it that every relationship in your life, you're the only one that's showing up? Well, that usually means that you feel like you are having to prove yourself to be lovable to the other people in your life. Why? Why is it this person shows up and they never, ever make any effort that, but you do? Well, here's the deal. Believe it or not, they are not lazy. They're just being them because they don't have an issue with themselves. On the it's other hand, on the other hand, you have an issue with yourself and you're exhausting yourself beyond the, the fact that you need to just to prove to yourself and to them that you're worthy being with them. So the issue is not them. Yes, they may come across as selfish and self-absorbed 
and lazy and just don't care. Well, that's your interpretation of it. But don't you think that when, and I'm, I'm going to say broken, okay, when you're broken, that you tend to, to make bad choices in the people like you're going to you're going to pick somebody that you think will make you feel better and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to yeah so you're drawn to the person that is self-confident but usually mm -hmm. that self-confident person can be a narcissist right exactly that don't care about you and your feelings exactly so be aware recognize that maybe you don't really want to be with another person that is like you either, because that means there's two broken people with each other. Mm-hmm. So I guess if you recognize that everybody's broken in different ways, right? you just get to decide what you're willing to put up with and what, what is your worth and your worth, your greatest worth may be found being alone, not with somebody. Your greatest worth may be when you're ready to be with somebody to, to be with somebody who has also done the work and recognizes themselves and has come out of it, having learned from a, a, a various experiences in their life to become somebody they really want to be. And together, the two of you make that effort, but you're consciously making that effort, not unconsciously making the effort out of being broken. So how does this all come into where you're at today? I am, I guess I'm like a new baby walking. I can walk. It's not a, it's not a unconscious thing for me yet, where it's just second nature. Mm-hmm. I'm, what's interesting though, is I, I'm starting to understand little things just like a baby does where they start doing little tricks and they start recognizing and understanding their balance before they can just start running. Okay. Mm-hmm. In my life, I recognize things that happen that pull my energy down and my vibrational patterns drop. And then all of a sudden, like clockwork, my thoughts start going negative, start taking me down to feeling bad about myself or, Wondering about why the movies are taking so long, where the next movie's coming in. Then I start thinking about what's wrong with my business. Or I start thinking about the way I look. Oh my gosh, I still have another 10 pounds I need to lose before this movie. I mean, you name it. There's something to pick at. Mm -hmm. And that usually results from uh, TV or content that I expose myself to. Negative shows, bass shows, music that's not good. It could be a friend or associate that every time I talk to them, it goes to that yucky level. Whether it's either negative energy coming from them or topics that are discussed or social media that I'm reading, dealing with the crazies in Washington, D.C. on both sides of the aisle and uh, I mean, you name it. There's so much negative out there. It's like we are trained. If you really look at TV and media and everything coming from the news. And if you were, let's say you were a God. 
controlling this world and you wanted to you're the opposite of god you're a god that's on the negative side let's say i'm mm-hmm. just using this as a as an example okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even if you're a non-believer you can get this idea okay How, what would you do in this world to bring down the level of energy and vibrate positive vibrations down to where you would be keeping them the world from being happy and looking up and celebrating the creator of life in the master creator and and god of this existence what would you do you would do exactly what's going on right now you would be sl- you, everything on the news would be negative very little positive 99% negative you would cover those things that make you feel like the world is literally falling apart you would be hammering us on every level which is kind of what's going on right now Mm -hmm, i was just talking to a friend the other day like you know i learned to shut that stuff off so long ago she was telling me she's like i she was i'll just go for a walk i'll just go out in nature and go for a walk and then i'll start be thinking about how beautiful this world is and how exciting things are and so your reality can be what you make it. That's the amazing thing. We're all conscious creators in this existence. As human beings, we can all be who we want to be. You can yeah. decide what experience is yours in this existence, but that may require upsetting your current existence. It may require you leaving and, and abandoning the old existence that you once were. And- Which is why a lot of people have a problem with that because they don't want to let go. Yeah, but that's then you maintain the circular pattern of repeating over and over and over your same mistakes. Yep. But guess what? Someone stuck in a high rise in New York, Manhattan, let's say, they're complaining about the cost of living. They're they're exhausted by their their work, even though they're making two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. It costs two hundred thousand dollars a year just to live there, and between food and everything else. So they're just on subsistence level. Why not quit your job, move to Montana or Wyoming or Utah or wherever out in the sticks? You could live off of 20 grand a year doing something you love out in nature, but it has to be your choice. Right. And you have to decide what you want, whether that's in a partner, in friendships, business relationships, what you do for a living, and most importantly, where you live. So where are you going to take care of your heart and your soul and your mind? Nobody talks about that. Nobody, there's no education. There's no, there's no, they don't teach that to kids growing up. The most important things in life, they teach them about things that don't matter. Yeah. I think you're probably teaching your kids that. And I I think that's probably because of your own experiences just from what I've seen with, I mean, family is the most important thing to you and you take care of all of them and you give them good things. And then you just hit on the other point. It is, it, family is the most important unit in society. Mm-hmm. And guess what's under attack? Families. Right. Guess what half your listeners grew up in? Broken families. Broken families. Yeah. And they're all on subsistence level or they're all on... Uh, everybody's on autopilot just surviving single moms working they don't even have the time or energy 
to think about the important things of life, even though they beat up on themselves daily in their mind and have a heart a broken heart over the fact that they can't give their kids more attention than they can because they have two jobs they have to run. That's the whole issue is you, you, that's why people are the way they are and why they feel the way they do about themselves is because of things that they have been taught by themselves that they have come to their childhood understandings of that have stuck to them this day. So you need to ask yourself what, what is and isn't important to me and what is and isn't true about me and start shedding off those incorrect misplaced beliefs of yours because they just aren't real and but they are destroying your life. So you do know that all of these things that you went through starting from childhood and broken marriages and stuff has made you into the man that you are today. Absolutely. And I'm very grateful for those. And things. you should, and, and that's, I hope that people look at that instead of, you know, Oh, I had this horrible life and I'm not talking about you, but uh, people out there listening all of us, I, I, none of us, first of all, none of us had a perfect, and nobody still will, perfect childhood. Um, I'm sure a lot of parents don't mean to, don't even, they don't even recognize when they're saying stuff or doing stuff that they're damaging that child. They're not doing it on purpose. I, I know that there are people that do do that, but most of them, I know how my parents were and very, very strict. It sounds kind of like yours. And I was a middle child too. That's why I asked you if you're a middle child, because it's usually the middle child that gets ignored the most. Yep. Um, and I learned, I learned that at an early age and I've made sure that all my kids get the same amount of attention. I don't blame my parents for anything um they they went on how they were brought up you know and and i think you know at some point it's up to us to make a change so i made a change i i loved my parents very much i was there for them as as they were passing away and i have absolutely no regrets um i have no guilt and i don't have um bad memories but did I, I learned from what they did and took the good stuff and the bad stuff into how I was going to, to parent. And, and I'm not a perfect parent either. I don't think anybody has like the right answers. I think every child is different. Every situation is different. And we have to learn as we go along. You know, all, all three of my kids are, have different personalities. So I have to treat each one of them different. You know, and they have a different relationship with each one of them. Um, but I have taught them to be open and honest and tell me when they're, you know, maybe I'm having a bad day and they feel like I've taken it out on them. Tell me. Because I don't want them to feel that way. You know what I'm saying? I feel like just from what I've watched with you, that, that you are very loving to your children and that you're aware and you you know you would be easy for them to go and and talk to and if i don't know and i like and you can correct me if i'm wrong because i have not been with you personally to see it in action um but 
that your kids feel like they can come to you with anything and they feel protected. For sure. And the, honestly, their greatest blessing was some of my greatest difficulties and challenges difficulties. and trial yep. growing up. But I, I chose to be the opposite um, mm-hmm. of certain things. You know, with that said, my, my, you know, my mom was extremely loving. She was just overwhelmed. Same thing. Sure. I don't blame my parents. Candidly, I don't blame my parents for anything because they act the way they do because of what they went through as children sure. and so on. Right. I mean, right. We're, we're, we're an age of enlightenment now and we're all becoming more and more aware of what we went through and what's happening at all ages. You know, the, the young generation, they're the light ones. They're, they're the incredible ones that have come um, to bring light to this earth. And it's our job as, as adults to make sure that we protect that light. And that requires keeping them away from the barrage of negativity right. and allowing and one them of, to be who they are. So one of the things that I'm trying to teach, well, I'm still teaching, I, you know, I don't care how old they are. You're still always their parent to me. So, you know, I, my kids know that I love them so much that I'm going to, I'm always going to back them but I'm also not going to lie to them. You know what I'm saying? So just a little thing, like if my daughter comes to me and says, you know, what do you, what do you think of this outfit I'm wearing? You know, I feel like it doesn't, I'm not going to tell her it looks good if it doesn't, you know what I'm saying? Um, But I'm not brutally mean about it, but I'm not, I want them to know that, but just because I love them doesn't mean that I, I need to lie to them, you know, yep. um, and, and they know that about me. They know well, that, that I will back them 100%, but I'm also going to tell them when I feel like they're wrong. Well, ki- ki- or, the thing is, is kids are smarter than that. They know when we're lying to them. They do. And what you're teaching them is bad habits of codependency that they're going to then uh, mimic as they get into relationships and as they go throughout life. And you don't want to do that. So the right. best thing you can do is cre- is raise very independent children that you're brutally honest with, but that you're you you do so in, in a loving heart, way with your heart open to them, so that they feel your honesty and authenticity towards them and everything they do, and then they will never accept anything less than authenticity in their life, and that's right. the issue. And I, and I, and the other thing is, um, you know, you've brought in positivity a lot. And so what I've tried to, to teach them, which I hope you do it yourself, even um, like, you know, you brought up like the reviews of movies and stuff like that. Um, you, you know, I, I try to, to tell them to, yeah, I want them to keep up on news, but I don't want them to dwell on it because we don't even know how much of it's true. And there's so much negativity going on in the world itself right now that I think it's kind of something that we need to not pay so much attention to. We, we need to know what's going on, but we also need to be open-minded at what's the truth and what's not and well, not dwell. Well, the, the law of attraction is, you know, basically that which you give, pay attention to, you give power to. And that applies just as much into what you're pursuing for your life's interests and career as you're getting better at things in that area, as it does to the TV movies and TV shows that maybe shouldn't be given so much attention. 
but then they're given all this power. What does that do? It reinforces that negativity. If it's a negative thing, it reinforces the lie of the, of the news because they want to sensationalize everything so that, because they're just focused on the almighty dollar. And even if it means the telling a lie in order to get controversy. So people talk about your show. So they then watch some clip about it. They win. Right. So if you're not paying attention to it and you're out roaming, roaming in your local uh, national park, who the hell, who the hell cares about what's going on in the news? It doesn't, there's nothing that you personally can do about it. Right. You can't do anything about what craziness is going on in Washington other than who you vote for. Right. So take an active role and, and vote with your conscience instead of your party. You know, most people don't even know why they belong to the party they do. You know, a few years ago, I left one party and became an independent for that exact reason. I no longer wanted anybody to own me in any way, shape or form on any subject. Nobody deserves or is guaranteed my loyalty. They have to prove it to me. You know, I am so glad you said that because I have been first, you know, I, I own a business where I see women on daily, I have a boutique on the side too. And so I see a lot of women and they, they want your opinion on everything. And I don't think I should mix that with business and I try not to, but I am so tired of people asking me my political views when I feel like political views and religious views are two things you should probably stay away from <laughs> with, you know, that's going to, because both are lies. Both are lies. Right. Right. They don't define who you individually are or right. your divine nature as a, as a, as a person and a soul. They don't, they don't, they don't tell you who you are. Right. They just tell you what you identify with, which isn't still isn't who you are. Right. And so I made the mistake of this one lady just persisted and persisted and persisted on, you know, what party she was from. And she went, she kept asking me, you know, who do you support? What do you support? And I'm like, so I knew I was going to get damned for it, but it, it didn't matter. I don't believe in one side or the other. You know, I'm an independent too. And man, did that make her mad. And she she just went on and on about it, and and I finally just said, you know what, this isn't what I do here, <laughs> and it, everybody has a right to their own opinion, and I that's why I don't like to talk about that stuff, because I'm I'm not going to try to convince you of anything, I don't want you to try to convince me of anything. I have my own feelings, I I try to find somebody that I trust and believe in and that's what i do i don't go by oh, what do they do they they say red and blue and democrat and republican and all that kind of stuff and i don't do that i i don't vote one way or the other you know straight up it's and it's hard it's it's hard to even know who to believe so i don't that's a whole different subject but um and i try to teach my kids that it's okay and you don't have to share it with me you don't have to talk about it it's your it's your own opinion and you quietly do what you think is best you know do your homework uh, and uh, you know it's hard to do your homework it's, well, it's, it's hard like anything in life we we're told to be loyal to this or that or the other all of that is a sellout because every one of us is a unique person 
Exactly. Each one of us needs to be, you know, who I vote for, I vote for me. And if I, if I vote for me and everything in life, guess what happens? Good things happen. Right. It, it, there's enough of incredible experiences and enough of coming from me that will be able to pour out into my family and my children and my community and in the world that will all be the best of me. But when I am told to stand and or stand with a particular group or do this or that or the other, that's not fully me. Now, all of a sudden, I'm doing things out of obligation. I'm doing things out of woulda, shoulda, coulda when, versus I want to do this. This is important to me. These matter to me. And I'm owning my decisions versus doing things out of loyalty or obligation. Yes, I'm naturally a loyal person. But when I started feeling like people were taking advantage of that loyalty is when that became a sour thing that became a weakness of mine. Mm -hmm. Loving somebody became a weakness of mine. That doesn't mean don't love somebody, but what it means is consciously love, consciously live your life in a way where you are choosing things and you understand the reasons why. Otherwise you're just going to be dragging your feet in your life. You know, I can't tell you how many times I went to church growing up, just dragging my feet to the point to where I had a negative association with it. Well, there, there should be no negative association with any church out there ever. Right. Because it's, you know, at least in the, the normal structure of things, because they are, you know, it's all t- talking about God, whatever else. Point being is that became a negative thing for me. And so I had to retrain my brain and thought patterns and thoughts and behaviors based upon what mattered to me. You know, and it doesn't, nothing has to look the way people think it needs to have to look. And that, that's what it comes down to for me. And that goes back to the whole self-love is that live my life as a conscious creator in a way that I can continually and always be grateful for everything that I'm doing because I choose those things consciously. And I, I, I'm not walking through life unconscious, just making decisions based off of irrational emotions and and confusing thoughts so so my last question to you is do you feel loved and do you love yourself now i abs i do feel loved i've been incredibly blessed in my life by incredible family extended family friends and loved ones um those I'm closest to are my children, as you've, you've mentioned mm-hmm. a few times. They bring me the greatest joy and happiness in my life, even if they are sometimes very frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And do I love myself? Yes, I do. But I, I, I'm telling you this, that it's, I'm, it's something newer to me. And as such, I'm not perfect at it, and I'm working at it daily. And the way I can more honestly tell myself that I do love myself is through my actions towards myself based upon the decisions that I make that tell me that I am loving myself. Roger, this has been just an amazing talk. Um, And I really, really think that it's going to help a lot of people, which is my purpose in life struggles um, I really appreciate the things that you're saying, and I think that people will listen to this 
Um, so could you could you tell everybody like how they can find you on social media that they can follow you or sure. even if you want them to sure on instagram i my uh, i'm at, at roger.dorman that's r o g e r . d o r m a n on imdb as in internet mary dog boy imdb.com that's the platform used to follow actors and directors and anybody in the entertainment industry you can look me up there just by going into the search bar and typing in my name roger dorman uh, you can also search by the movies that i've that we talked about earlier um and this- on tiktok you can look up roger i think it's roger.dorman official or something like that right i mean you, you are you that, still but... going on there uh, I haven't posted in a while, but yeah, there's, there's I, a bunch of funny videos still on there. <laughs> okay, good. I really don't have time. Um, I, I would like to, and you know, it's taken a whole different turn, like in everything that you can do and say, yeah. I'm going to have like a long, you know, long videos, three minutes, I think it is. Yeah. yeah. All that kind of stuff. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I keep having people ask me, please go live. And I'm like, when, when do you do that? Um, I, yeah, I kind of burned myself out pretty quick within about f- four or five months of doing it. And uh, yeah, life, you're like, good at it. Changes. <laughs> you were good at it. But you know what? You were my mentor, even though you didn't know it. <laughs> but you, you were my mentor, but, but not in, in gaining followers as much as I was so interested in who you were as a person. And, you know, you brought that out. So you probably didn't even know that you were helping somebody else. I don't know. But you did. Well, so well, thank you for a, that. <laughs> and it was from a promise that I made to my son when he, when he heard that I was going to try TikTok during those boring days of COVID. Mm-hmm. You saved us. He, he just said, he goes, Dad, just promise me you won't be one of them. And I just said, okay, I'll, I, you know, what, whatever I do, I will be authentic to who I am and I will show that I am authentically me and those that would be drawn to me. Great. I'm not going to, but it's how, it's how I choose to live my life. I, I won't be fake towards somebody or pretend to be this or that because it just eats my heart out when I'm, tr- when any time in my life where I've ever tried to be anybody or anything other than me, I, I have to be me. And that, that comes across in all of the ways. The only time not, I'm not authentically me is when I'm doing crazy roles <laughs> like Officer Mike Wind in a racist drama. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then I'm supposed to be authentically them. Them. So. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, you've done a good job both ways. So <laughs> congratulations on all the things that you're doing right now. And thank you thank you so much for coming on and giving your perspective on self-love and a lot of information. Um, usually I send somebody to a site where they can go to, um, depending on what the life struggle is. But in your case, I think they just need to listen. <laughs> <laughs> just listen and learn. Um, and hopefully they're going to get something out of this. So um, if you can share this to your friends, 
Um, I will send you um, after I get it edited and everything. And it's okay if I use one of your pictures because I'll edit this part out. Sure. <laughs> but does it matter which one I take from? Because I'll, I'll use headliner. You use um, whatever one you want. Okay. All right. Um, and thank you again. I so much appreciate your time. And I wish you luck in the future. If you are going to be doing more movies, you better let me know. I'm, ca I'm, I'm casting four, four more that'll start filming probably in March. Really? So, yeah. I, I keep getting these casting things. Um, and my son keeps saying, why don't you do that? And I, I'm like, when? When would I have time? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But uh, I, might, I might look into every once in a while being an extra or doing a small thing. We'll see. We'll see it's where a it lot goes. of fun. And, and it doesn't matter whether it's that or anything else. One thing that I think makes helps all of us be authentic because our divine nature we we come from places of creation mm -hmm. create something be something get involved in something that you can be creative with whether that's your whether it's writing or acting or music singing whatever there's so many ways to be creative and everybody should that should be a part of who everybody is in right. any way, shape, or form that they feel like they can be, be creative. It's, it brings, it's, it's food for the soul. It's, it's liberating. So I'd highly recommend you pursue any, any creative venture that, that feels right to your heart. Well, I'm like, got that personality that I've got so many things that I love. Sounds like do. you could be, have a lot of fun. <laughs> I know. I know. And, and I do. And, and, you know, you know, Roger, I, well, my kids are older now, and you still youngest. Um, how many do you have living at home? What's that again? You do you just have your youngest? Does he live with you full time? He he bounces back and forth between his mom and me. We both live in the same town, so he's you he's are with in the same town virtually every day. But he's also with his mom mostly every day. So I mean, he bounces back and forth. Yeah. Okay. Um, what I was going to say was like so for me. Now my youngest is is now in college, you know, third, second year, second year of college. Um, so I have more of a freedom to do things. And what I've been doing for my self care is taking trips by myself. A, a lot of people like go, "Ooh, that doesn't even sound like any fun." I meet people like you would not believe. But, but the biggest thing is that I, I take, like, when I go to San Diego, I love San Diego. I love going on the ocean walk. And I just walk and in, enjoy the, the people I see around me. I meet new people. Um, I'm not a partier, like, drinker, doing drugs or anything like that. But, you know, I, I love going out to nice places to eat or whatever but mostly I like just taking that time out to get away from all the stuff I'm doing back here you know and just refocusing on myself and giving myself some time to relax and work on whatever I need to work on for myself and I just I like do that like once a month now I'll just take like three or four days for me, but I can do that because 
you know, I don't have any left at home. I, I couldn't do that for years. You know, where, wherever I went, my kids went and, and, you know, that was my focus. My focus wasn't on me. So I've learned now to balance that. Still need me. doesn't matter how old they are, um, which is fine. But I, I've also taught them to be self-sufficient too. But I'm glad that the small part of them needs me for certain things. <laughs> <laughs> so, good. all right. Well, thank you so much. I enjoyed talking to you. Likewise. Thank you for having me and uh, glad we could talk about some important things. Yeah. And hopefully we can help some people. That's right. All right. Well, you have a great weekend. The rest thank of Thank you it. very much. Take okay. care. Good night. And that's a wrap. I just want to thank all of the audience for listening to this podcast and also to ask you to leave a review on whatever platform you might be listening to this on and also to invite your friends and relatives to listen to these podcasts and all the episodes. You can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms that offer podcasts. All you have to do is look up Life Struggles by Christy Collier. If you want to find me on Instagram, it is also under struggle underscore winner. And if you search my name, Christy Collier, I think that will come up too. Thank you again, and I look forward to doing the next Life Struggles episode. I hope you will too.